0: August is my ship, Pather a Hi Trek. <laughs> Jay on crack J powder.
1: Jay on crack. We've gone full Ulster Irish. This we have is the indeed. effect The effect Anton Bug has had on you. Well, my wife too. <laughs> there is that. There is that. I, I'm I'm more inclined to blame Anton Bug. Um Jay on Crack, um Mai. My. crack and My my wife also, what a little Irish she has was learned in um uh Rona Oh. so uh, it's 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 wiltigomay and instead of goma as normal people would say.
0: Hmm. I still can't get past how Anton orders soup in in Donegal Irish. That's it's sue. Hey who ya? Who yeah.
1: I was
0: like that's a, yeah. I, I I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure now. <laughs> I love
1: this how you you held off the mockery for a half an hour while you're in the room with him and now it's like full gone. <laughs> no, no, no.
0: He was there and I was thinking, you know, obviously Anton's the expert on the on the Donegal Irish, but the um Obviously, he's the expert on the Donegal Irish and thing I just have to trust him that this isn't made up, but apparently it isn't.
1: No, well, I mean, yeah, I know that soup is is sou, and mm. and so is sauce, and so is gravy. So it gives you some indication as to the culinary fortitude of the Donegal stomach. <laughs> <laughs> I always uh, knew a man. I wish to a man um, who had no taste buds. He was he he worked with my dad. Uh, my dad's a musician. He was in a band with my dad, and uh, at one stage he um, ordered. Um, a chicken and chips with curry sauce, but he said he'd have the soup to start. And they um, <laughs> they forgot the soup, so he drank the curry sauce, put the soup all over his chicken and chips. Didn't even notice. That was lovely. That was great. He wasn't from Donegal. He's from um, he's from Ballyfermot. But um, oh yeah, I know Some him. people, some people have no taste buds.
0: In some ways, it's a blessing. <laughs> <But,
1: laughs> Equally cursed and blessed. Hmm. Anyway, anyway not, digressing slightly from taste buds
0: Digressing slightly from taste buds In some ways, not having taste buds is a lot like being dead
1: That's an excellent segue That's better than my segue where I just <laughs> just lampshaded it and You said, we're going to digress now hmm. Yeah, it is a lot like being dead And if you're dead, you might, believe it or not Still have earthly concerns and worries For example, you might care about what part of the churchyard you got put in
0: This is a thing. And the uh, Irish people are obviously obsessed with death and their (laughs) neighbours.
1: Yeah, two of the things that we talk about the most. Do you know who's dead? Do you know who's dead? And then... Me (laughs) neighbour. And... And you won't believe what your one up the road is saying.
0: And property.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the the great trifecta of Irish idle gossip. I have a story... Who's dead? You won't believe what your one is saying. And look who bought that plot at the end.
0: And some of our more learned listeners will realise we are kind of gradually making our way to talk about the fact we are going to be talking about Crane Killer, the classic Irish modernist novel today.
1: One of the greatest modernist novels of all time. They said that it was the novel that was so good people were afraid to translate it. So we're going to we're going to do a bit of a Bloomsday on it because um, I've read the book. Have you read the book? I have not read it yet. Oh, great. So we're going to do a Bloomsday on it then. Just two arseholes talking about a book they haven't read. One of them has read. read. <laughs> well, so
0: what I've, I've, I've what, I suppose I've been fascinated by Crayna Killah and I was like some learners of Irish, I was intimidated the same way that a person who is learning English might be reluctant to go straight into Ulysses. That oh, yeah, You
1: never go full Ulysses. You
0: never go full fin- Finnegan's. and
1: even It's a it's, it's fr- dead. still tricky. Oh,
0: the, the, the Dead, I, I've been thinking about The Dead a lot recently because of that wonderful Guinness ad, which they keep threatening to remove from the airwaves because technically it's alcohol advertising. Which one is that now? The Christmas um, ad, Guinness ad, is based on the end of The Dead.
1: Oh yeah, it is, yeah, sorry, you're right, yeah. Um, but yeah, they haven't removed alcohol advertising yet, have they?
0: They've been threatening it, They've every, threatening every it, time yeah. they do, they say, what about that lovely Guinness Christmas ad?
1: Even at the home with the black stuff. We dream of a white one. That one. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's so even, ghostly.
0: Even I, even I an, an, a notorious Grinch and curmudgeon and grump. <laughs> um, even I, who am um, not a Christmas person, but I do love that ad.
1: I like the one where the sham forgets to say sorry or doesn't want to say sorry until years later so he swims from New York to a Mick Christopher soundtrack.
0: I I love that one as well, and it's just a, a wonderful memory of having Mick Christopher's beautiful music. Yeah. It was
1: Mick, Mick went to my school, did he? He went to Killian in Clondalkin, Yeah, he was born in New York, but his family moved back to the homeland to Clondalkin, where they're from, uh, when he was young, and he went to The Secondary School, that I would later attend. I'm a bit younger than Mick, so I wasn't I wasn't a contemporary. it was
0: very Angela's ashes of him
1: dude, a lovely place. It's not like Limerick <laughs> in the 30s. <laughs> We're in in the early 90s. It's not like Frank McCourt sitting there. It was it. always raining. We had to go to Mr. <laughs> Lamb's. It, <was, laughs> it was raining indoors. It was raining inside of Mr. Lamb and he'd turf you out for eating on the premises.
0: For those of you who are, aren't <laughs> familiar with Mr. Lamb, who is one of the finest uh, chefs in the Clondoggan area. Yeah,
1: yeah. Constantly screwed out of a Michelin star, unfortunately. But where he, where he, what he lacks in Michelin stars, he makes up for in social media banter. If you want a a, a, mm. a Chinese restaurant a Chinese takeaway that is open late and knows how to do good twitter mr lamb's your your only man
0: the, one of the funniest things if you do if you are caught in traffic and intend to falling into a social media black hole the Mr. Lamb's replies to his own reviews and Facebook <laughs> are absolutely <laughs> iconic
1: yeah, brilliant um when Mr. lamb found out that I was um that I had joined the green Party. Uh, he, he told me I was a brown bag superhero and he'd make sure to give me a bamboo chopstick next time I called in <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah, big love, big Iconic.
0: love. <laughs> but we've got to get back to uh, the, Kraytokilla. 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 the
1: greatest the, I think the greatest modernist novel of um, the 20th century uh, absolutely incredible and I am including Ulysses in that because like, Ulysses is a steaming pile of overrated nonsense
0: I know. <laughs> I mean, U- Ulysses is a bit like Star Trek in that it is excellent, but some of its fans are annoying.
1: No, I'm not going to get in with that now. Star Trek is unimpeachable. It's perfect. It's wonderful. Look, I think, I
0: think particularly when you look at Star Trek compared to the stuff that was on at the, at the other channel at the same time when it came out, you think, yes, this is, is wonderful. But some of the Star Trek enthusiasts are a little bit kooky.
1: Are they or are they not less annoying than the people who go out on Bloomsday,
0: I think that Bloomsday folk are. What the, my no? Listen, one thing about going out in Bloomsday. My favorite thing is the day after Bloomsday, the Bloomsday Walk of Shame.
1: <laughs> when you have your straw boater around your neck, someone has, <laughs> someone has pushed it down your head. Like yeah, <laughs> you see some... I don't, they're not even authentic. Like they don't eat kidneys for breakfast. They don't visit prostitutes. It's like what's the what's the point? <laughs> what's the point of Bloomsday?
0: Well, look, I mean, the point of Bloomsday. It's funny that when you when some people think outside Ireland think Bloomsday is a really big deal. For us, it's just oh, Poxy Bloomsday traffic.
1: Poxy Bloomsday traffic. You can't it's get anywhere near
0: Sandy Mount. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: the road is full of stately, plump book mulligans. <laughs> so, a <to> killer.
0: <laughs> funny thing, I, I was, uh, we had a, um, a teacher in, a lecturer in college who said that you can tell that you know Ulysses is a really hard book because all the famous quotes are from the first chapter. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, we just sort of give up. Or the last bit, the last soliloquy. Oh yes, <laughs> Molly Bloom's famous soliloquy. Why is it famous? Because people skip from Stately plump book Mulligan right the way to Molly Bloom's soliloquy. Mm-hmm. We sort of have an idea of what goes on in the middle, but um, yeah, it's just. Have you read U- Ulysses? I have, of course. I've read you, of course. He says, <laughs> I've read Ulysses, and it was a really enjoyable, rollicking read. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's fabulous. But um. I read it when I was younger. When I was so young, I would unquestioningly read anything. Mm-hmm. And now I don't think I'd sit through it. I really just don't think I would. Like I, I have gotten into this terrible habit of, if a book doesn't grab me, I've realized that life's too short now and I'll just stop reading it. Yeah. So
0: I do think, though, sometimes, and with a lot, of, um, a lot of fine literature, the thing is, often the only time you get a chance to actually have the the patience and the time to read a lot of fine modernist literature is when you're in your very early 20s and you're studying it from a university but often the full impact of some of these works isn't really apparent to you until you've had a little more life experience.
1: I think that's true of anything. That's true of anything. And, you know, you look back on uh, anything you may have enjoyed when you were younger, any television series, any film, any, any book, any play, uh, anything at all. And you do get a deeper appreciation for it. Um, with a little bit of life experience, particularly if you've gone through something one of the characters has gone through. Like, you know, yeah. it's no use reading about the heartache of bereavement or lost love when you're thirteen years of age and you know, everyone important to you in your life is still there. Yeah. But come back to it twenty years later when you've lived and lost and loved and lost. And yeah, of course it is. It's it's um you get a more valuable insight into things with life experience. And you know, for me, that was that was kind of with Killa, first read it when I was a f- naive and young uh, student of Irish, aged mm-hmm. nineteen. Oh, yeah, I was, I was, I was fresh-faced. I wasn't fresh-faced. I've had a beard since I was fourteen. <laughs> um, it's just been grey since I was nineteen, and I loved it. It was recommended to us by a lecturer I had in in college, uh, who considered it the greatest novel ever written. Oh. Um, I don't know if it's quite the greatest novel ever written because, like Tom Clancy's Op Center, is really, really. Good. I'm only kidding. <laughs> uh, it's a, uh, it's it's wonderful. It's it's an amazing piece of 20th century Irish literature. Crain a killer for anyone who doesn't know it. It, it means. Literally, it means the the earth of the church, the clay belonging to the church or the ground belonging to the church. Uh, so it's been translated as the graveyard clay, the graveyard soil, the graveyard earth, the church clay, church and clay. And my favourite, the dirty dust, uh, ah. which is Alan Titley's uh, translated name for it. It's been translated, it was translated in the, um, in the 90s into Norwegian and in the year 2000 into Danish and then in recent years into Czech, but people had sort of shied away from uh an an English translation. There were several early attempts made by the publishers, Sarce Dill, but um <laughs> the first attempt at translating it was thwarted when the young woman who was selected as the translator gave up to join a convent <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, then they after, asked, after reading this book I'll never <laughs> get it right again then they asked the the, the famous poet Thomas Kinsley who, whose translation of the time is still the go to reference for students of, of uh, old Irish and, and medieval Irish recently literature. the winner
0: of an all of a lifetime achievement award at the Irish Book Awards
1: yeah th- th- Thomas Kinsley is amazing and he just flat out refused he just said basically, this guy was the greatest scholar, poet, and translator they could find at the time in the 1960s and 70s. And he just said, Translate Crane kind of No. Mm. And then the last one was a former prison mate of O'Kine's was engaged uh, to do it because O'Kine, a fascinating character, uh, Martin O'Kine um, was a school teacher who was kicked out of school teaching because he was in the Ra. Um, he. <laughs> Now, this, he was an IRA recruiting officer in the they 1930s. Much stric- they
0: were much stricter back then.
1: <laughs> um, of course, he he was the one who enlisted Brendan Bean into the RA, um, <clears throat> which led to some trouble for Bean as well. Uh, but he was involved in all sorts of things like he was a he was a Marxist Leninist uh, a social radical and a total anti-clericist he hated the church I- in a big way and a lot of people think that's that's part of his reasoning for being sacked as a, as a, the, the, being in the Ra was just an excuse to sack him yeah. it was actually because he hated the the church so much but he was he was um, he was imprisoned uh, briefly interned during the emergency in the Curragh Camp when Dev uh, locked up all his old mates who, who hadn't left the Ra at that <laughs> Stage, uh, so because of his continued involvement in what was known as the border campaign at the time, where the the IRA took advantage of the emergency to um, create a bit of trouble for Her Majesty's government in the north of Ireland, uh, he was locked up in the Curra. And you know he
0: and they say we were neutral.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so uh, someone who um, who had been in in prison in the Curra with Martino O'Keane offered to translate. Uh, crying Akilla for Sarshaelagh's Tale but it turns out that because the book was written in 1949 it was after he got out of uh, the Curragh, and this guy had no clue as to like any of the motivations or the poetry behind it or the, the duplicity of meaning or anything. And it just turns out that his only claim to fame was I used to be in prison with Martin O'Kine. I might know the guy and what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so the untranslatable novel. Until 2015, Alan Titley did a great translation of it. And then in 2016, uh, 2016 Liam McAnumura and uh, Tim Robinson didn't now that that one's fascinating because um Liam Mac is an Irish writer journalist broadcaster has great um you know has really made his bones in the Irish language but um Tim Robinson is a, is a cartographer from Britain so mm-hmm. a map maker. Uh, an English map maker. Uh, but just loved this idea of uh, of crane killer and and got involved in the translation but crane killer for anyone who has not read it, um, is a subversive modernist novel about a bunch of characters, a massive cast of characters who are all dead.
0: And they're not just dead.
1: They're buried. Dead and buried.
0: They're buried near each other.
1: They are, of course. Yeah. They're buried in the same churchyard in the stony soil of Connemara. And the driving force behind the main characters, the main character's motivation, as it were, in it. Her name is Katrina Fajin, and she's dead, and she wants to find out has she been put in Oita Schilling? to laughing, Have you ever heard anybody say the halfpenny place? Like you put me in the halfpenny place. Yeah. Of, so that's the worst place you can be buried. laughing, The halfpenny place is is the, the substandard graves, the shite part of the graveyard. And all she wants is not to be there. And she wants to gossip and she wants to backbite. And it's it's so it's so um it, it's novel in its approach to death because any Irish novel that had dealt with death had dealt with ascension to the higher realm, had dealt with the Judeo-Christian ideals of death, Yes, had dealt with this idea that there is another world beyond. And what O'Kain is saying, there is another world beyond, but it's actually just beneath. Mm. And the characters can all still talk to each other, but they're not in heaven. They're not in purgatory. They're in a box. They're in the box you put them in, in the ground you put them in, and they're just going to carry on as if, So they'll gossip and they'll talk about people. And of course, the only time they can find out what's going on in the ground above is when someone joins them. So when a new character joins, they get to gossip and they get to backbite and they get to talk about all of the various different things that are going on uh, above ground in Connemara.
0: And the allegorical significance of this is incredibly rich, partly because, obviously, Ireland has the small town attitudes that have prevailed Irish life, but also the Irish language, the idea that it had been declared dead, but it was still talking.
1: Yeah, I mean, th- th- that's absolutely, uh, it's absolutely key when you look at it now. I mean, for O'Kine, that language was never dead. Yeah. Uh, O'Kine was a radical believer in the, 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 the life and the, the sort of the splodder of the Irish language. He was involved in, the, in the, the radical language movement that eventually led to the resettlement of Rockarn in County Mead as a Gaeltacht. Uh, so people from all different parts of of uh, Ireland were given land in County Meath to set up a new Gueltucht. and the Gaeltec is still there. But it was, uh, uh, as people are fond of telling me, it was the original pop up Gaeltec devs, <laughs> original pop up Gaeltec in the in the fifties. Um, but yeah, so allegorically, I don't think O'Kine meant in any way to have these deaths or these these dead people these dead characters symbolise the language that he loved so much but there's no doubt about it he loved the language and it was at the forefront of his mind and the, the revitalization. he as a radical Marxist Leninist agitator he believed strongly in na Nehéren or the reconquest of Ireland and he imagined a, a linguistic reconquest as well because as a you know as as a Grailtacht, uh as, as someone who was born in Connemara, someone who grew up speaking Irish, he sort of had this idea that uh, the fact that the establishment, which he fought so much to uh, to take down, uh, spoke English, and they and they did, even though Dev was an Irish speaker. English was the language of commerce, it was the language of government, it was the language of trade, it was the language of... Everyone was the language of the church in, in a big way as well. Uh, so it was everything he stood for was in Irish and everything hmm. he stood against was in English so uh, he did a lot of translation as well when he was uh, when he was, when he translated some of the um, the Anglo-Irish classics he translated a lot of um, a lot of work including Charles Kickham he translated uh, his novel Sally Cavanagh. Uh he Translated and wrote a load of Linguo political pamphlets as well. Uh, he oh. was big into Wolf Tone. He translated a lot of Wolf Tone's works and he wrote a lot about uh, Wolf Tone, including one one pamphlet that was particularly famous called Tone Ineig's in Yegg's and You. Tone yesterday and today, saying how, how relevant uh, he was. And then he did a huge uh, study in the 60s on uh, the social status and the actual use of the Irish language in the west of Ireland. Um, and that was titled Anu Gael Destined to Pass. So, he was probably the most innovative um, Irish author, definitely, yeah. of the 20th century. Maybe Dermot O'Sullivan could hold a candle to him, but O'Kine was, um, he was he was something special. He was something else. And a and Achilla is just something wonderful as a book. And, They've made a film of it. To be honest with you, I mean, I hate to say this because I love that it was done and it was a great attempt, but I didn't like it. I don't think it suited to the medium. What it is perfectly for is by the same writer, MacDaro Farta, who fans of Russ Naroon would recognise as Tig, the bar owner. Oh. He wrote the adaptation of the, uh, you wrote the adapted screenplay for the film, but prior to that, he had written the um, the adapted screenplay, not screenplay, for a radio play. Yeah, radio play. Oh, and it's perfect for that medium. It's perfect for that medium because, you know, in the, in the film, you have to have these ghostly specters walking around. And yeah. I don't necessarily think that's what Okine intended with this. He's yeah. literally saying, no, they're in the ground. They're in the dirt. They're rotting in the dirt, but they're still there.
0: Creating visual interest for something that talking is 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 a, is a trick. And I know, like I was just thinking there about how they. When the West Wing was being made, again Star Trek for uh, for posh people is um, the uh, they 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 literally had to come up with the idea of people walking down corridors and and
1: that's where they've invented Sorkining. Yeah,
0: they invented Sorkining as they said because Aaron Sorkin famously said he's only ever written one action scene, that's in a few Good Men when Tom Cruise's character buys a magazine. (laughs)
1: <laughs> <And> <laughs> everything else is talking. Everything
0: else is pure talking. So they said, Oh well, we have to find some way of you know of moving this across. But anyway, but similarly, yes, when you have a bunch of characters and their whole thing is that they are actually all in boxes near each other and doing to talk to each other, it's something that's deeply suited to radio work, but not visual. Yeah, not
1: not visual. Yeah. And um like like I said, fair play, great attempt, and it's 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 good, it's a good movie, it's well worth watching but there's a three-hour, 40-minute radio play done of it on, uh, on RT, broadcast on the National Broadcaster, uh, adapted for radio by Macdara Afartha, and it is glorious. Now, not saying that it's accessible, mm-hmm. not saying that it's easy to get into, it's not, it is arguably, like what we were saying earlier, the Ulysses of the Irish language. Uh, it's tough. But it's in Connemara Irish, and it's great. And, and the great thing about O'Kine writing was a lot of the Irish language writing at the time was sanitised and it was, it was trying to portray Irish language as something it's not and never has been, which is some sort of a holier than thou mm-hmm. language, the language of the angels, the language of God, or anything like that. It it was the language of the people, so it's got some of the best Irish language curses and malachdi that you could ever imagine, like well, you know, unglamorous oh, skolach you know, or um, or a one der- of
0: dirty my, lobster.
1: No, 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 gleamra, gleamra. Uh, uh, basically, and again, this, I suppose, brings into question the translation. When you're translating something like a curse or, or an ex- exclamation, do yeah. you go faithfully word for word? Because that's what that's what Macanumara and Robinson did in 2016. So, oh, and gleamra scoloch becomes, oh, the boastful scold. But when Titli did it in 2015 in The Dirty Dust, he translated the sense because, yeah. you know, the, the words may not necessarily convey the sense it doesn't translate well so instead of being a boastful scold it was oh the loudmouth scuzzy bastard (laughs) it's just just an an Mm. awful an awful lot better like uh, so for example we're um, oh Complaining about uh, a couple that got married. And again, a lot of this is gossip and mm. just complaining and pissing and moaning about people, uh, which is just the beauty of it that the dead are, are as they were when they were alive. Their mm. worst characteristics and best characteristics come to the fore. Which, if you're to take Macanumra and Robinson's approach, oh, they were very well matched. The red haired sourpuss and the snotty streak of misery. <laughs> But Titli went one further and sort of mm-hmm. went with the with the, with the the sense of it. It's like they were well suited to one another. The doer-faced, copper knobbed scum and the snivelling, <laughs> snotty shithead. So it's just it's just this beautiful. Mm-hmm. And again, trying to bring across this this onomatopoeia of like a on smoishuk, mm-hmm. but that's a snivelling, snotty shithead if ever I heard one. You know, as opposed to a, a, a snotty streak of misery, a lanky streak of piss, or anything like that. It's just, and, and my favourite one, the whole thing is is uh, so. Uh, Mukagas bar is at where she's cursing someone. She says, Mukha mm. a on smooch. So mucha is the curse. Mm. And uh, Robinson and Makanumra translated that as uh, May the pus face smother and drown, says I. May you smother, may you drown. But really when you say mucha you're not wishing death on someone. What you're saying is um as Alan Titley so gently puts, the fruit cake," says I. So you're you're just saying like you know ah feck him like mm. you know what I mean you know Mokos Bart Ploughhart you know I'm not actually wishing death on you I'm just saying mm. you're a gobshite yeah so and I think I think Titley, Titley nailed on the sense of the words it's 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 still I would hazard an almost untranslatable novel and and definitely well worth reading in the Irish language if you. If you ever felt you had the ability to, to 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 have a crack at it, definitely a target for a learner too. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's like say. if you if you are learning English, you might one day dream of reading Ulysses. Yeah. If you're learning Irish, you might one day dream of reading uh, O'Kines, watching O'Kines, uh, Cranachilla. Uh, it gets my stamp of approval anyway.
0: Absolutely. When it comes
1: to understanding political issues, I am a self-confessed toddler. That's why I've enlisted the help of Steve, my politically savvy drinking buddy, to help me better understand politics. Every couple of weeks, we get
0: together and record on topics like what is the politics of language? What is Watergate?
1: How the internet is killing democracy? We take these big issues and we break them down into silly little comedic bite sized bits. If you like the sound of that, then search for What Am Politics in your podcast app of choice, or find us here on the Headstuff Podcast Network.
0: The um just when you're talking there about the you know, the sense being translated, users of folklore.ie, the incredible resource for learners and Irish users, they often do this as well. Because I remember where I was looking up the Irish for for fuck sake, and it's in day.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, and, and 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 like in the name of God would be the direct translation. Mm-hmm. But really, like, if you want to say for f- sake, you'd say in Adam Day. It's like, and you know, oh, isn't that very irreligious? Isn't that very blasphemous? And and I remember, I remember speaking to someone having this conversation, this deep conversation. I say deep conversation. It's like five points in, so this deep conversation about is there too much religion in the Irish language and why do we say diaquit and all that? It's like, yeah, but there's religion in almost every language. Um, yeah, you know, we just. We ignore the sense of it in English. Mm -hmm. When we say goodbye, it's a corruption of God be with you.
0: Yeah, it's, 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 and you, you do see this that in, in, in Hamlet at one point he says goodbye, but he has all the, uh, all the apostrophes in the show. It's God be, God be with ye.
1: Oh, yeah, God be with you. Yeah. yeah, well, it's goodbye. And, uh, you know, so it, it comes from God be with you. And we are, we are happy enough to ignore the sense of it in mm-hmm. English. So I think I'm happy enough to ignore the sense of it in Irish. So when I say in annum Day, I'm not saying in the name of God. Folklore is right. Yeah. I'm saying for a
0: take. Because sometimes people do ask me about, I, I'm looking for an irreligious greeting or a non-religious greeting other than do it. And I say, I say do it, but even though I wouldn't be a man of deep faith. But um, but, people, but my point is, if you say, oh, oh, my God, or OMG, then are you actually, you know, making a religious declaration? Or using, OMD.
1: Oh, more,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. Fick air. A home. Knock, knock. knock
1: will hold more key.
0: I'm not going to comment on her tone. That, that's a lyric. It's a famous <laughs> translation of a very famous song.
1: Oh, is it? Yeah. Well, what song?
0: Ba'alam Tony Moore. I guess.
1: Oh, August Needham breaking I guess. A new It's why Tony Moore cuz he's Needham
0: breaking in. Uh on on reather Rassoul- a cirglor.
1: <laughs> oh Jesus.
0: Funnily enough, uh, um, Sir mix I like big butts and I can't lie song. Often known to younger listeners only for the extract used in *Friends*, um, the later verses show that it actually really is a political song, giving out about the lack of black models in front of fashion magazines. But also, it is one of the most profitable rap songs ever because it contains no samples.
1: Ah, so every penny went to every penny went to Sir Mix
0: a Lot, and it has been covered and sampled itself. So, so on, yeah. Yeah, so it has actually become one of the one of the most profitable rap songs there was a, a
1: bit in Friends was there?
0: There was there's a bit when um and when Rachel's trying to make her child stop crying and the only thing that would do it was this song but she only used the first verse which uh,
1: yeah, I, I, like I like Big, big Butts, butts I can't I lie. lie all you other worlds can't deny when a girl walks in with it, it'd be waste and a ranting thing in your face you get sprung yeah, yeah.
0: exactly but the, the later verses go into he, he goes into more detail saying that you know, giving out that certain magazines including Cosmo rarely put uh, if ever at the time because was before Naomi Campbell yeah Ever put uh, black models in the cover, and he attributed this to you know a European uh, um, beauty oh, norm. Oh, in-
1: institutional racism. Yes, it's just institutional racism. That's exactly it. Like, yeah, um, I mean, this is
0: this would be like if if they sang the first verse of "Come Black and Tans" and, and stopped before they got to the bit when the black and tans are being asked to leave.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I suppose like if you just sing "Come um, Get Black and Tans," like it doesn't get less political as it goes. It starts uh, off, yeah pretty political
0: I was born on Dublin streets when the royal drum did beat yeah and the laughing
1: English feet would tramp all over us it's pretty much it's pretty much WYSIWYG (laughs) WYSIWYG. it's Ron Seal it does what it says on the tin from verse 1
0: it's interesting that it was one of the first um, it was one of the first Republican ballots to put the struggle in a global uh, post-colonial context
1: yeah pretty much Uh, it and the foggy Jew which did so as well by comparing the First World War uh, with with the Rising. Uh, you know, had they died, uh, it was better they died neath an Irish guy than at Souvla or Soudel Bar. Hmm. You know, so, or, you know, or had they died by Pierce's side or fought with the Bell Cothill Brew, their, their names we would keep were the Fenian sleep in the this, Shroud of the Foggy Jew. This, it was this comparison of how we treated the people of 1916 and, and the people who went... To fight in in the Redmondites, for example. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it, it did, it gave it the global context. But yeah, um, Dominic Beans, come out you black and tans. See the Beans, lad, they were class. They were class. Brendan, Dominic.
0: Is that <laughs> yeah, they they were a sound bunch of lads and with a remarkable creative right? output. I remember one of my first bosses in one of my early jobs was saying that he went to a Brendan Beacon play. And Brendan Bean is in the audience and he's booing it all the way through and he'd be asked to leave.
1: <laughs> yeah. My favourite story about Brendan Bean is when, when he went to Canada, they interviewed him and I said, What made you want to take a trip to Canada, Mr. Bean? He was on Canadian television. <laughs> he said, I was at Dublin Airport and I seen a sign and it said, Drink Canada Dry. <laughs> so I said, I'll try. <laughs> it's fantastic. Bean was um, mm,
0: he did a remarkable wit and certainly a. Uh...
1: Have you ever listened to his albums? because like there's one brilliant album of being singing his favorite folk songs and 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 it, it, he's obviously drinking as the recording is going on cuz it descends like the first the first few tracks are you know 7 and 8 minutes long story of the song and the song story of the song and the song and then it gets shorter and shorter and shorter the story gets shorter or a little mm-hmm. bit messier the song gets a bit shorter he breaks off and he starts another story and another song it's um it was <laughs> <to> one Ella. it's <laughs> one on Ella. Is, and of course good man for the gaelge uh, Brandon O'Bachon himself and Martin O'Kine can you yeah. believe that both in the Ra both Gael Gorey and two of the most important literary figures this island has ever had and because Martin O'Kine didn't write in English he's sort of the forgotten half of that that odd couple
0: and we are definitely we are going to do an episode on Brendan Bean soon uh, so that's uh, that is in the post we, yeah, because obviously unguil and the translation of Anguil is massive. But before we wind up, and I, I do have a, a, a grave-related, a very grave story to tell, which will tie us back to Crane and that um that, obviously people are an Irish. who are obsessed with death, but they're also obsessed with property. And I used to work with a guy. We'll call him Finnegan, not his real name. <laughs> and one one day, Finnegan was was, was very crestfallen. I was saying, "Are you okay, Finnegan? What's what's going down?" And He said that his parents weren't speaking to each other, and he was a very Bad atmosphere in the house. His mother had picked out a grave site, you know, for where she'd be buried. And she thought it was absolutely beautiful. It was wonderful. But because graves, typically people don't take out mortgages to get graves. So when graves go up in value, it's a good predictor of a property bubble, which we are now having. So, and this happens two or three years before property bubble, you find graveyard plots start going up in value. And his father had noticed this and he flipped the graveyard site. He'd sold it for like an extra profit. And he came home and he said, Mary, we're getting cremated. <laughs> I did a big one and Cashman's hands and she was furious Dude,
1: God. there's a there's a live album by The Frames where Glenn Hansard starts telling a story I don't know whether it was um, he broke a string or something so he's just telling a story to the crowd what he was doing he was talking about when he was going out with this girl and he thought it would be a lovely idea um, to get a star named after her mhm and he went to try and, and get a star named after her, but it was needlessly complex. And by the time he finally got around to finding the star that we were named after, he realized it couldn't be seen by the human eye. It could only be seen from a radar telescope like they have in, in Dunsink Observatory. Mm-hmm. He said, that's not going to be any good. So I know, i got something equally as romantic. So he bought her a plot. <laughs> 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 he bought her a grave. That's... And needless to say, she broke up with him. That was...
0: <laughs> this reminds me of a famous... Uh, proposal line in Irish.
1: Er whilet winter, would you like to be buried with my people? i telling you, listen. If you take nothing away from this podcast but that line, try that next time you're out in a pub in the Gaeltach, Fairton T T Fagey Hay, or anywhere like that. Er whilet fheicur le winter. Telling you, you'll get the shift. Oh, guaranteed action. Guaranteed action. <laughs> Not a guarantee.
0: Not a guarantee. So before we wrap up, is there any other Crane Killer crack? Another of the salty put downs that can only come from a person who's in a grave, thinking about you know. Yeah. The-
1: so one of the things that stuck out with me um, is again, and, it, and it's sort of the the interest of, of translation and, and and the challenge of translation. Uh, what you do when you're when you're faced with a, a phrase, and this phrase is like "hamas smuggler mach vishachol le firin." So I, I, I threw out a spit and uh, you know, I, I spat, a smuggler mock. Um smuggler being a spit or a snot, which we know from having discussed smuggly roan yeah. on, on the show in, in in the past. And and again, when this was translated by Mokanumra and Robinson in The Graveyard Clay, they said, I threw out a spit, it was as stiff as a male briar which of <gasps> course is 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 what it means. Mm-hmm. dreesh being um briar and, and firin being male. But of course, what does that mean in itself? And Alan Titley, again, when, in his translation, The Dirty Dust in 2015, he nailed it. It's like I spat out a glob. It was as stiff as a hard on.
0: Mm-hmm. A male briar.
1: A male briar. So Driesh Ferrin, there you go. Well, there you have it. Get that down, you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> good grief. <laughs> so, where can people find um, Crane Killer? Well,
1: Crane Killer in all good bookshops. All if, good bookshops. If, 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 if your bookshop doesn't have a copy of Crane Killer, get another bookshop. Uh, if you're in Dublin there's definitely copies in Hodges Figgis on uh, Dawson Street definitely copies in Unshupple obviously on Harcourt Street uh, and in fact there's there's guaranteed to be copies of all the great literary works Osgoelga in Unshupple on, on Harcourt Street It's Is it in the public domain the Irish version? Um, Yeah good question I don't know S-
0: Could someone do a podcast series just reading it out? <laughs>
1: Uh, one wouldn't know I don't know You know You should get Tig from Rostaroon on it And find out Did he pay for the rights For the RT radio play Ooh Magdara Farta Magdara Stall it
0: We love scoops Absolutely So Until the next time It's a slant from me
1: It's a slow, from you Catch you then This episode is brought to you by Old Forester Ready to Drink Mint Julep.
0: <laughs> yes, indeed, we were um, we were lucky enough that recently one of our visitors from the United States brought us a beautiful bottle of Ohio Maple Syrup, which is lovely, but also a bottle of Old Forester Mint Julep. Thank you very much, Katie Commode. Cheers, Katie. Mother Folklore comes out every Friday on the Headstuff Podcast Network. If you're looking for another show to listen to, until then, I would like to recommend Words That Effect. Presented by Connor Reed, a wonderful literary podcast. Tara Noya, in which Tara Flynn talks about being a mad owl legit and how we're all how we're all legit seem, we're all just doing our best. It's just a so wonderful, she is a national treasure. Um, she deserves a lot of more support for what she's doing, because I think it's just it's just wonderful. And she has an absolute silken, beautiful golden voice. And I would also, if you're still looking for, if you can't, if you haven't stuffed your face with that many podcasts there is What Am Politics. Paddy, you were a guest in What Am Politics,
1: weren't you? I was, yeah. What Am Politics is a brilliant, irreverent show uh, where two novices track their way through all things politics. Stephen Ritchie, um, yeah, fantastic show. It'll answer any and all of your questions about what exactly am politics.
0: Thanks very much to Kirsten Shield for doing her art. She's just Brilliant. I, I just love how she interprets what we the, the stuff we come out with and do a wonderful piece of artwork every week. Thanks to Brian for producing. You don't know you don't realize how hard that guy works to cut down on the shite we talk.
1: Oh no, I do. <laughs> 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 thanks, Brian.
0: Mm-hmm. And also thanks to the backroom team in Headstuff, including Patty and Alan. We're just really grateful for all their work. You can support Headstuff on Patreon. In the meantime, you can contact the show at motherfolkloreheadstuff.org we're gonna do another mailbag episode soon. Till the next time, slung a This has been a production of the Head Stuff
1: Podcast Network. Have you been drinking it straight from the bottle?